Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Special Spotlight. So over the two-year period, 70% of the eyes in the Bevacizumab first group were eventually switched over to a Flibercept monotherapy. Today, Drs. Patel and Yanutsi join the podcast to have a discussion of protocol AC study results in this PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Regeneron is pleased to support this educational resource for healthcare professionals who provide retinal care. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the views of Regeneron or its affiliates. Hello, I'm Nimush Patel, an assistant professor of ophthalmology at Harvard Medical School and a vitreoretinal surgeon at Mass Eye and Boston Children's Hospital. I'm Nico Yanuzzi. I'm a retinal specialist at Baskin Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Great to speak with you today, Nico. It's great to be here today, Nemo. All right, so today we'd like to talk about protocol AC. It has been about seven months since this study was published, and we want to know how to digest the data. What can we do with these results, and how will they impact the way we treat DME? So first, what are the current treatments for diabetic macular edema? What is the historical data leading into this study that we now have to be aware of? So we're fortunate to have a lot of excellent treatment options for our patients with diabetic macular edema, which remains a leading cause of blindness in our working age adult population. Previously, we were relying a lot on focal laser, but over the past decade, anti-VEGF has become the gold standard. And we've been lucky to have multiple efficacious and safe agents with a proven track record, including bevacizumab, ranibizumab, and aflibercept, as well as our new entrant, Ferisumab, which is both an anti-VEGF agent, but also an anti-angiopoietin agent. It's our first bispecific antibody. We also have excellent second-line agents or adjunctive agents in the form of intravitreal steroids, which can be limited to some extent by cataract and glaucoma, but can last for a very long time in our patients, three months to three years, depending on the exact agent used. And we even have a bunch of excellent pipeline products with gene therapy on the horizon and other long-duration kind of extendability plays um, in the market. Our best comparative data between agents comes from the DRCR protocol T. And this was a study that randomized 600 patients to receive either bevacizumab, ranibizumab, or aflibercept monotherapy. There was some criteria for the uh, placement of focal laser as well in that study. And the takeaway message from this study was in patients who came in with baseline visual acuity, from 2032 to 2040, the agents performed relatively similarly. However, if we looked at the patients with 2050 or worse at baseline, aflibercept patients did a little bit better. They had about five to seven letters more gained by the end of the study in comparison to ranibizumab and bevacizumab. So now that we're up to speed, what was the goal of protocol AC and why were those specific treatment groups chosen? So the goal of protocol AC was to determine the relative efficacy of a flibercept monotherapy in comparison with bevacizumab first was switched to a flibercept in case of insufficient improvement. So this study was likely designed to simulate step therapy, which has been a policy of certain insurers requiring that patients received bevacizumab before being switched to a branded medication. This could be for one injection or multiple injections, depending on the insurer. And even some insurers are starting to roll out multiple steps, 
including other drugs before a branded medication can be used. So how was the study set up in terms of frequency of injections, the criteria to switch? Is that what's mimicked in your clinical practice? Is that how you treat DME? So first off, it's important to say that these patients were harder to treat patients. They enrolled 2050 to 2320 as the initial presenting visual acuity. And they randomized patients to either receive bevacizumab first with a switch criteria later down in the study or a flibrocept monotherapy. The patients who were eligible for switch had already received treatment for 12 weeks and then needed to meet pre-specified switch criteria. Those included lack of improvement, defined as a visual acuity gain less than five letters or CST improvement of less than 10%, or CST greater than 300 microns, or suboptimal vision defined as 2050 or worse before 24 weeks, or 2032 or worse after 24 weeks. To me, this is pretty much in line with what we might generally use. Again, it's a trial setting, so there are very strict pre-specified criteria that need to be used, and each case presents its individual challenges. Physicians are going to make a case-by-case -case decision, but I thought that the retreatment criteria uh, had a lofty goal at um, excellent visual acuity for the patients in the trial, and I thought they were pretty reasonable in terms of what we might see in standard clinical practice. So after now we've gone over the setup, what were the main results of the study? What, what is it that you need to write home about? So over the two-year period, 70% of the eyes in the bevacizumab first group were eventually swipped, switched over to a flibrocept monotherapy. However, by the end of the study, the mean visual acuity and uh, CST scores uh, in terms of improvement from baseline between the two groups was statistically similar. So there was no difference by the end of the study. And what about at the beginning of the study? Was there any faster response in the flibrocept group? You make an excellent point there. Yes, by the end of the study at two years, the two curves were on top of each other. But if you look early in the study, there was quite a significant difference. That bevacizumab switch group kind of had to catch up to the aflibercept monotherapy group. So there may have been some area under the curve differences between the two groups. But to be determined how clinically significant that is, uh, given that by the end of the study, both of those, um, both of those cohorts were doing quite well. So based on these final results that in the end, the visual acuity is the same at two years, should we be starting all patients on bevacizumab first? Is that what you're going to do? Is that, are you going to change your clinical practice to that pattern? So first off, it's reassuring that a step therapy protocol like this shows that there was no significant difference by the end of the study. And there is a lot of cost savings to be gained by starting patients on bevacizumab and keeping them on bevacizumab. But remember that 70% of these patients eventually switched over to a flibrocept. So likely the magnitude of those cost savings is probably less significant than one might have hoped for. Um, I think it's important to make a few comments about this study also. One is that they were looking at patients with 2050 or worse acuity. These are our harder to treat patients. And this is different from what was examined in protocol T by the DRCR, which looked at patients also between 2032 and 2050 vision. So it's to be determined how generalizable this study is given uh, the specific cohort that they looked at. So Nico, what are the implications going forward? Are we going to see payer insurance step mandates on a more widespread scale? And one other question was, are there any patients that are better for a flibrocept first in your practice? 
So I think the DRCR data does convince us to some degree that step therapy is not harming patients, at least in the long run. We saw two years, the results were pretty similar. But step therapy is only likely to get more complex going forward. We have a number of other approved agents coming through the pipeline, and we have now biosimilars, which are likely going to be a mid-step, so a multi-step therapy. Patients start on bevacizumab, then has to be switched over to a biosimilar in the event of treatment failure, and then later switched over to a branded agent. This is going to get very difficult and circuitous for DRCR2 model in a future study. I don't think it's going to be possible, quite frankly, uh, if the complexities increase. And I think generally physicians just need to continue to have a voice in the treatments that they offer their patients. Each case presents its own unique circumstances. A lot of the times with DME, we're making um, concessions in terms of patients and how often they can make it in for an injection. So there are still those patients that we want to treat right off the bat with branded drug. I personally, in my practice, use a lot of bevacizumab. I will use it even sometimes uh, beyond three months if I'm seeing some improvement, but not complete the resolution of fluid. Um, but uh, I would like the opportunity to pick whatever drug I want to offer that patient uh, especially in scenarios where the patients come in with very significant DME um, and uh, hard exudates of the fovea, other types of uh, issues where I know that they're like they're less likely to respond well. Well, thanks for joining me today, Nico. This has been great. I think we've given some good insights on the subject. Thanks again for taking the time. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, Visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcast, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Dr. Patel and Yunutsi, and to Sean Mullen for production assistance. Join me next time for the episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.